back students. We're going to talk about books 9 and 10 from the Odyssey today. And recall last time we got into Polyphemus' cave and he was not offering us very much hospitality. So a couple things to remember. Odysseus walks into that cave with 12 men. He'll only walk out with six. And in fact, he won't actually walk out. He's going to sort of uh, be dragged out by what sorts of creatures will he escape under? Who recalls? Yes? Odysseus escaped under a ram and his companions escaped under sheep. Yes, very good. Odysseus will escape under a ram and his uh, his companions underneath various sheep. And this, this makes a direct reference to which part of the Iliad? Book three. Well, do we recall something involving a ram and Odysseus and a description of him by, I believe it was Antinor, the advisor of Priam, yes? Odysseus was a ram amongst sheep. That he was described by Helen as a ram amongst sheep as he went about. Actually, it might have been Antinor, it might have been Helen. I can't recall which one said that. I think Antinor, or no, I think Priam mentioned that he saw a man going about like a ram amongst sheep. And then Helen said, oh, yes, that is Odysseus. That is what happened. Very good. So recall, Odysseus walks into this cave. There's a big dude about to come in. His name is Polyphemus. He's a giant cyclops, one eye, multiple eyebrows. Scholars debate whether he had lost an eye before. In any case, because he only has one eye, he lacks what? Depth perspective. Metaphorically, this means he lacks perspective. Thematically, this means he judges things superficially, shallowly, by the surface. What is it, therefore, that he will miss? The things that lie beneath the what? The surface. And so, what lies beneath the surface for humans? Our what? Our minds and our thoughts and our plans and our strategies. And if you do harm to us, our ill intentions towards you. And if we are Odysseus and we have conquered the Trojans and you do harm to us, what are we going to plan to do to you? Something terrible. And so let's talk about that some. So, Polyphemus eats six of Odysseus's men. Odysseus, the second night he's in with Polyphemus, remember first night eats two people, first morning eats two people, second night eats two people. Odysseus comes up and supplicates this guy, feeds him the Pramnian wine. Polyphemus, very stupidly, lacking perspective, sees no trickery behind this, even though the trickiest man alive is in front of him. Can he see that? No. No, he's very foolish. He judges things superficially. He drinks the wine three times, unmixed, all the way down. He becomes what? Of course, very drunk, which means smart or stupid. Stupid. His wits are muddled. This seems to be why Odysseus brought the wine, to be at an advantage over someone. He's already smarter than most people. If he gives you wine and your wits are muddled, he has an even bigger what? advantage over you, especially if he's not stronger than you are, but is whater than you are. Smarter. Smarter, right. If he is going to defeat Polyphemus, who is a giant, he's technically a cyclops, but he is giant in size, he's not going to beat him by strength. This is like a super Achilleus. If you were to ask me, would Achilleus be able to beat Polyphemus, I would say no. We know that Achilleus is as strong as 10 men, can move a gate as strong as 10 men, it would take more than 12 men to move the boulder that is the gate of Polyphemus's cave. Polyphemus could squash Achilleus. So, are we going to beat him with raw strength? No. So Odysseus gets him drunk. He then falls asleep. He then vomits up pieces of Odysseus's men after having cooked them. It must smell rancid in that, in that cave. Odysseus, with five men, cuts off a piece of the walking stick of Polyphemus, it's made from an olive tree, 
brings it with those five men towards the eye of Polyphemus, who is now sleeping, and does what to his eye? Pokes it out, stabs it, rather. It doesn't, like, come out. Though that would be very Iliadic. And first he actually burns the edge. And the reason that he burns the tip is so that the wound will immediately cauterize. When it cauterizes, it's just like a brand. It immediately scars, scarifies. If you scar someone's eye, will it heal correctly? No, Polyphemus is permanently what now? And isn't that appropriate? Because what has he been all along, though he had his eye? Blind. Very good. Yes. So would his eye have been about the size of his TV screen then? Uh, that's an interesting question, what his, the specific dimensions of him are. But yeah, I'd say that's not a bad estimate. There are several pictures. I don't know if I have many of them. Here's one of a vase that I really like. Odysseus with a couple men poking out his eye. I'd say that's still a rather small image of Polyphemus because he does pick up men two at a time by their feet and then bang them on. The, you might say that uh, humans are to Polyphemus what a cat is to a human. Um, that's about the difference in size, it seems. All right, so Polyphemus got drunk. Then he got an olive stick stuck into his eyes. Or his eye, excuse me, not eyes. His eye. And so now what happens? Well, let's think. If Polyphemus were to have died, you can't get out. You're doomed. You can't get out of the cavern. Uh, goodbye. Death. Too bad. Because none of the men are strong enough to move the boulder. But now that he's blind... How is it that the men will escape? Well, you might say, well, Polyphemus will have to open the cavern at some point to let out his cattle because he's a shepherd. I say, okay, but what do the men do? Just walk out? You say, no, no. Odysseus is much smarter than this. What he does is he fashions hangings off the bottom of the sheep and rams so that his men can hang beneath them. Because what Polyphemus's plan is, is to touch the tops of the rams. Again, he is thinking skin deep, superficially, just touching the top. What is he missing completely? The bottom of the ramps. He's not getting the full picture, the whole perspective, the whole story, only selections of it. And in fact, something very interesting just to note, because as we know, Odysseus is a man who seeks distinction in all moments. He actually will hang on to the fur of a ram. He uses his own what to hold on his own strength. And this will be a theme throughout the entirety of the Odyssey, that perseverance or using your strength in, strength in a disciplined way is the only thing that will save you from yourself, of all things. Yourself. Because it will turn out to be the case that often the men of Odysseus will die because of their own greed or giving in to their own hunger when they know it is wrong to do so. And so Odysseus shows a stronger will and greater capacity than his men. The men escape. And actually, very funnily, and I should read this to you, we'll probably read it in seminar, there is a selection where Polyphemus starts to talk to his favorite ram. The ram underneath uh, Odysseus is hanging. You can imagine that while Polyphemus talks to this ram, Odysseus is thinking, please, please, Zeus, do not let this stupid Cyclops reach under the ram and find me, because something very odd happens. The ram is usually at the front or the back of the pack. The front, leading. But in this case, he's actually where? Now, were we thinking, and we were intelligent, we would immediately deduce what from this situation? 
The ram is usually at the front. There are men now in my cave who are trying to escape. My ram is now moving much slower. Obviously, what is the case? Somebody's holding it down. Somebody's weighing down this, this ram. If we were to think this through, we could see that. Who does not think this through? Because he does not think anything through. Polyphemus, of course. And so he uses his imagination to make up an explanation, which is correct or totally not correct. Totally not correct. He says, you ram, you must feel sorry for me. You must be sad that your master is blind. Does the ram care if you're blind or not? No. It doesn't have, it might have some feelings, it might have some emotions, but it doesn't have the rational capacity to think through the fact that you now are sorrowing and in pain because of blindness. It just can't do that. It doesn't have the words. And so Odysseus and his men escape. But things are not quite done yet. And this is where the slides start for today. The men reach the ship. They lead the rams and the sheep onto the ship. They now have food and provisions. Excellent. They're now away from Polyphemus, who is blind and cannot see them. They should be scot-free, correct? Well, they should be, unless somebody makes a mistake. Shows a bit of blindness or lack of foresight. And unfortunately, that person is going to be Odysseus. Because as smart as he is, is he perfect? No, because is he a god or is he a man? And so we will see a profound moment of recklessness here. Odysseus decides when he is out to sea with his men, not yet very far from the island of the Cyclopes, that he needs Polyphemus to know who it was that got him in the eye. That there's just something about what Polyphemus has done that just does not sit right with Odysseus. It infuriates him. And he wants Polyphemus to know that it was Odysseus, son of Laertes, who blinded him. He screams this to Polyphemus. And Polyphemus immediately groans and says, Odysseus, what a fool I have been. For I know a prophecy of old, I was told by a prophet who showed up here, that one day there would be a man named Odysseus who would blind me. But I thought he would be a large and handsome and powerful man, not a man like you, which shows just how much Polyphemus was. Just how much he knows about anything. Because, well, as we know from Odysseus, does one have to be handsome and tall to be intelligent and dangerous? No. No, that is a very superficial way to judge things. In fact, if I were to ask you who is more dangerous, Achilles or Odysseus, that might be a very difficult question. It would probably depend on the situation, frankly speaking, out on the battlefield or in a council. In any case, Polyphemus, though he cannot see, he can definitely what? Here, two things happen. First thing is this. He takes a giant boulder. This is an image of it. Throws it out to the sea. Washes Odysseus all the way back. Almost hits him and his ship. That's a, what do we call that? That's a close what? A very close call. Usually when a close call happens, you sort of put your tail between your legs like a dog. And then you run away. And you don't try and poke the bear a second time, right? That would be a very stupid thing. A very short-sighted thing to do, correct? Well, nope, nope, nope. That's not what Odysseus does. Odysseus has to yell out a second time at Polyphemus because Polyphemus calls down the curse on 
Odysseus. And this is why Poseidon is angry at Odysseus at the beginning of the Odyssey. Polyphemus says, Father Poseidon, call down a curse on this Odysseus, this, this nobody who he claims to be. And Poseidon's curse is this, and it is devastating. And Odysseus will not learn what the curse is until he goes down to the underworld and meets Tiresias. But it's terrible. Here's what it is. Either you die on the sea, great, not so good, don't get home. Or you do make it home, alone, which means what happens to all his men? They die no matter what now. So who's at fault for their deaths, whether Zeus blaming them for their own recklessness or this event? It's very difficult to say. We're going to have to debate that in seminar a little bit. All your men will die. It will take you much, much, much time to get home. And when you get home, your home will be infested by enemies. And a big question you might well ask, depending on how tired you are today, is which would be worse? Because dying's terrible, but working hard's pretty bad too, right? But what do we know about Odysseus? He is willing to what? What is he willing to do? He's willing to work. He's willing to persevere. In fact, what is the reason that he left Calypso's Island? The reason he left precisely is that he would prefer to what than to what? Work rather than? Live in paradise. Right. Paradise for Odysseus is apparently this. This very difficult, terrible, violent life. And you might want to think about that. If you want the ultimate game, you have to have the ultimate what's. Stakes. And what's the ultimate stake for a person who dies? Their life. And so, very interesting, very interesting. All right, Polyphemus throws a second stone at Odysseus, almost hits him again, and finally Odysseus's men are like, please shut up, Odysseus, please be quiet, just shut up. Let's go, let's go, let's get out of danger. We're finally safe. They escape. All right, this is just a quick review. I don't even need to do this. We're, or we don't need to go through this. Just recall where we have been so far on Odysseus's journey. Recall also that he is still just talking to the Phaeacians on Scria before he goes back to Ithaca. This is all a story he's telling between books, essentially 9 and uh, 11, or at least 9 and 10 today. I think it might go to 12. I'll look it up. So we saw the Kikones at Ismaros. Remember that they attacked and plundered and then lost six men per ship. How many men total if there were 12 ships? 72. 72 very good. All right, then we saw the Lotus Eaters. This is a great picture of the Lotus Eaters. Two people sent with a herald. They got dragged back with Odysseus. There were like 20 lines about the Lotus Eaters. Very tricky. Basically, this is how I want you to think about Lotus and about drugs in general. At the very least, they steal your what? They steal your time. Look at this image. They're just sitting out in the middle of nowhere doing nothing. What are they accomplishing? Nothing. Nothing, right. It's, isn't it bad enough to have your time stolen? Because what do you always have limited amounts of as a mortal? Time. Time, right. It's very valuable to you. All right, good. This is a good picture of him leading away these men. They're looking pretty ashamed of themselves. Good. The Cyclopes, we know that they were onomos. That means without law. Polyphemus did not honor the Zinnia. He ate six men. Odysseus called himself nobody and escaped after blinding underneath the rams and gets cursed when he reveals his name. Here's a vase painting with several images of infinity showing the patterns of the universe around it, and a big old Polyphemus getting his eye kinda, uh, uh, poked out by some very happy-looking Achaeans. Iolus' Isle. 
next place to go. This is a very strange place. This place reminds me a little bit of the Fayakans Islands, Korea, a little bit of the Lotus Eaters. Now, Iolus, it's not explicitly said here that he is a god. Though, if we watch a movie version of the Odyssey that NBC put out about 20 years ago when I was about your age, um, he will be a god. And in fact, in the Aeneid, in the very first book, which we will read together, Iolus will be a god who is um, the under Thane, he's described as, which means servant of Poseidon. Now, a couple of things that let us know that he's a god. We know the divine prerogative is incest, or rather to marry one's family members. Obviously, the Olympian gods constantly do this. Hera and Zeus are, in fact, brother and sister. Ares and Aphrodite, brother and sister. Hephaestus and Aphrodite, brother and sister. We know how that goes. Why do I bring this up? Well, on Iolus' isle, which is called Iolia, of all things, he has 12 children. His 12 children are married to each other in six pairs. You might say, are his 12 children the winds themselves? I'd say, that's not a bad question. All right, as I was saying, you might ask, are those six pairs supposed to represent winds that are the children of Iolus? And I'd say, that's a very good question, but the answer is no. Because as far as the Greeks were concerned, there were four winds. And in fact, the Romans will later have, I believe, eight, maybe even more winds than just the cardinal direction winds. The Greeks have the north, Boreas, the south, um, Notus, the east, Eurus, and the west, Zephyrus. Zephyrus, the west wind that pushes east, is supposed to be an evil wind slash the fastest wind. Oddly enough, actually, I can't, I can't tell you whether the west wind goes west or comes from the west. I can't, I can't say that because I don't know. I'll have to look that up. Yes. Isn't the west wind the one that pushes Odysseus home? It is the one that pushes him home. Very good. And so it is a good wind for him. And so that tells us something about what makes something good or evil, whether it is useful or harmful to us, whether it is tool or obstacle to us in a moment. That is sort of the sad thing about a friend, right? In one circumstance, they might be very helpful to you. In another, say a civil war, if they stand against you, are they still your friend? And that's a big, difficult question that humans have to run into. That was a big one in the American Civil War because, as we know, brother fought against brother. And so what do you honor there? Do you honor your filial relationship to your brother or your relationship to your ideals? Very difficult, very, very, very difficult thing to think out. In any case, Iolus, he's a pretty good god king and not, not very helpful to Poseidon because what does he do? He honors the Xenia and gives Odysseus an excellent gift. And what is that gift? He takes three winds, the south, north, and east, and puts them into a bag, ties it up, and gives it to Odysseus. Why is this an excellent gift? Well, just now Poseidon cursed Odysseus. Poseidon is the god of the sea. Odysseus is traveling along the sea. What might Poseidon want to whip up to destroy Odysseus, which he could do very easily? A storm, of course, but he would need the what's to whip up a storm? The winds, and so he cannot whip up a storm right now. If Odysseus can keep these winds in the bag, he'll make it home, no problem. Sounds easy, right? Sounds very straightforward. And so we get back on the water. Odysseus is very, very careful with this bag of winds. And he has not yet met Circe, so he does not yet know the magical knot that she will teach him 
that he will use on the gifts that Arate gave to him from Scoria, importantly. Prodicius stays awake for, I believe, two full days, maybe even more. I'll have to check the text. All day, all night, steering the ship himself. Very interesting that he does it all himself. Does it seem through his actions as if he trusts his men or does not trust them? What do you think? Why would you say that it sounds as if he does not quite trust them? Because he's steering the ship on his own, even when he's so tired that he needs to fall asleep. It's a little bit suspicious behavior of him, too. Because if I were one of his men, and Odysseus were staying up all night every night, and he had a new bag from a king who was a god, what might I think about that bag? That there was obviously something of great what within it? Value. And I'm just a normal man. What sort of thing in a bag usually has great value? Gold. And I'm very what? So I want that gold. Poor. Not poor. Greedy. And so I think, actually it's not me who's greedy. It's Odysseus who's greedy. Because he's the one who has the whole bag and is keeping it to himself. Would you say that that is a very short-sighted way to think? Or that thought comes from a lack of perspective? Because what is even more valuable to gold or than gold to men who have been fighting for 10 years along the sea and are trying to get home. What is the most valuable thing possible for these men? To make it where? Home. And so anything that can keep them from home is the worst thing possible. And perhaps that thing will be themselves and their own lack of judgment. Yes? Why didn't Odysseus tell them that he had a bag of wins? That is an excellent question. The question is, why did Odysseus not tell them that he had a bag of wins? I do not know the answer to that. We're going to have to talk about that in the seminar. I don't know whether he didn't trust them whether he didn't think they would believe him or what. But that is a perennial issue because we do not get that he tells them what the winds are or what is in the bag. They have to question. It is perhaps the case that he told them but they didn't believe him because they thought he was a liar, which he is a liar and he is very deceptive. And so, hmm, that's a great question. That's an excellent question. I want you to think it through. Perhaps you'll figure it out. Yes? Did Poseidon have put those thoughts into the group? That's an excellent question. That is an excellent question. We have seen evidence in the past in the Iliad of Athena putting thoughts in people's heads, but she doesn't just put them in people's heads. She whispers words to them and suggests it. It doesn't seem to be the case that any outside influence works on these men. It's their own lack of character, their own greed that works against them. We'll see this happen again on the Isle of the Sun. They'll get hungry, and then they'll forget the rules. Just because you're hungry, does that make the rules change? But does that make how you feel change? Yes. yes, very much so, very much so. We all know that. And so, this is tragic. Odysseus is within sight of Ithaca. He's so tired, he's got to fall asleep. And now this is a great theme, and this is something you have all undoubtedly experienced in your own lives. Is being close to finished the same as being finished with a task? In fact, we all know the greatest story ever about the difference between finishing and almost finishing. Who can tell me a very brief story involving a tortoise and a hare? Who knows this story? Yes? Um, so a tortoise and a hare race, and so the hare goes really fast um, the whole time. Really fast? But Hares are very fast. It gets near the end. And he gets tired, so he decides to take a nap takes a nap right before the end. Are you seeing what this story is obviously modeled on now? Yes. And so then since the tortoise is slow, 
takes a while to get there, but then he gets to the end before the hair does because the hair stopped and took a nap. Regardless of how fast one is, if you don't finish, do you win? But even if you're slow, if you finish and your opponent doesn't, who wins? The slow person does. I'd say that's very important to your studies. That said, Odysseus falls asleep with inside of Ithaca. He can see their fires from their food. That means he's so close he can make out the details of the island. He falls asleep. Is he finished? No, he's not. And his men, they talk to each other. They collude. They say, what's in this bag? Odysseus likes to keep the best things for himself. I bet it's gold. Let's open this bag. They open it. A tornado comes up, blows them all the way back to Iolus's island. They were almost done. And now, where are they? Back where they just started from. Oh, in fact, in my first year of teaching the Odyssey, uh, one of my students for extra credit made an Odyssey board game where every time you had to draw a card, and you had to draw a card like every two spaces, it just sent you back to the beginning. So a, a big joke about that game is it was impossible to win. And if you think about life as an adventure in which everybody dies, is it impossible to win? In that respect, in that respect, yes, yes. Odysseus is knocked all the way back to Iolus's island. He asks Iolus for the winds back again. Do you think, is that how it works? Do you get a second opportunity to do the same thing in this world? Can you step in the same river twice? No, you say, I step in a river named, which has the same name as the water that I stepped into, but are you stepping in the exact same water that you stepped into if you're stepping into a flowing bottle of, or a body of water? No, that water's gone forever. This time, gone forever. This opportunity, gone forever. Iola says, you must be cursed by the gods. Get away. And so, the question you might ask is, does he honor the Xenia? Did give a gift to Odysseus? It's up to Odysseus how he uses the gift. Is it the responsibility of Iolus to give more gifts now to Odysseus, who mishandled what he was given in the first place? No, that would be like me saying, hmm, hmm, you did very poorly on this assignment. Here, let me just give you another one and wipe that away. It's like, no, that's not how it works. You have to work yourself out of your holes, not just be taken out of it. Very good, very good, very good. Oh, right. this is a very good cartoonish image here. All right, I'm gonna go very fast to the Lysergonis because this is a very fast segment. Only about three minutes here. We are in book 10 here, and same with Iolus. We got, uh, book nine ends with the Cyclopes. The Lysergonis are very similar to the Cyclopes, but also very different. And you have an image here of uh, one of them attempting to cross a ship. So this is what happens. We find a harbor, a place uh, outside of a city called Telephos. Two men and a herald, just like to the Lotus Eater, are sent to the citadel of this city. Odysseus keeps his ship outside of the harbor itself. The other 11 ships stay in it. We are not given the reason why Odysseus does this, probably though, because he is very careful. Recall that during the Iliad, his ship was kept in the middle of all the ships. He likes to make sure that he will be safe. He likes to build in redundancy into situations. He likes to take care, especially after the Cyclopes. The men meet the princess of the Lystragones. Now something very weird. Lystragones are giants, but it is unclear whether this daughter is a giant or not, whether they're being led along by a giant or a normal-sized girl. It's, I, I'm not entirely sure. 
They are directed towards the house. It says Antiphantes out there. Antiphides is his name. P-H-A-T-E-S, not P-H-O-N-T-E-S. The heralds are led into his house. They immediately see a woman larger than any they've ever seen, and she screams at them in a howling way. A predatory way. Then she runs away, and her giant husband comes into the room. What does he do immediately? He eats a man, and the others run away. They're fleeing, flee, 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 and he calls all the Lystragones. And they come down to the cliffs above the harbor, and they take giant stones. And what do they do with those giant stones, of course? They fling them. They fling them at Odysseus's 11 ships. They destroy them and all the men on them. Everybody is dead. Goodbye. That's how fast it was. Do the Lystragones honor the Zinnia? How devastating can creatures human or humanoid be if they do not honor the Zinnia? Because you're what? You're utterly what when they come at you? Surprise. You're surprised, shocked. You're defenseless. That's right, shocked. Like a lightning bolt hit you. Like you weren't being honored by, or Zeus was not being honored. Very good. Eleven are destroyed. Only Odysseus and his ship, which he kept outside the harbor, escaped. Now here's the question I want to leave you with. Who then is at fault for those deaths? Is it Odysseus for getting cursed by Polyphemus? Or is it the men for opening the bag of winds? Because if they had not opened the bag of winds, they would have been where already? Home, Home Ithaca. Would they have ever seen the Lystragones? No. And so that, for seminar on Monday, is what I want you to think about. <laughs>